You're listening to The RN Mentor, a podcast designed to document and bring you the work and experience of some of the most influential nurses in our profession. We will be sitting down and having a discussion with the leaders of today's nursing world as they share their work, how they navigate their nursing path, and their views on the future of the profession. My name is Ali Tayeb. I am a registered nurse, United States Navy veteran, a Jonas Veterans Healthcare Scholar, and your host for The RN Mentor. Welcome to another episode of the RN uh, Mentor Podcast. This is going to be a special podcast uh, for me uh, as I bring you a very special uh, guest. Uh, She is commonly known as a comic nurse, uh, but also goes by M.K. Serwick. Uh, She is a nurse, cartoonist, educator, and co-founder of the field of graphic medicine, she is the creator of talking of taking turns stories from HIV AIDS Care Unit three seven one, believed to be the first full length graphic memoir by a nurse. MK is also the editor of Menopause, a comic treatment, and a co author of Graphic Medicine Manifesto. She has served as the artist in residence at Northwestern Medical School a senior fellow of the George Washington School of Nursing Center for Health Policy and Media Engagement, and a Will Eisner Fellow in Applied Cartooning at the Center for Cartoon Studies in White River Junction, Vermont. More of her work can be seen at www.comicnurse.com. She is on social media, and I will have links to her site and uh, her social media uh, connections uh, on my website. So uh, please take time to connect with her. And I would like to welcome MK to the show. So welcome. Thank you. This is a great treat. Thank you for inviting me. So I'm so excited. Uh, as I shared with you before we started recording, uh, I, I have a little uh, I'm an amateur artist on the side. Uh, so very excited to have you here. Um, so question for you, what came first, art or nursing? Um, I guess art came first because I loved to do it when I was a little kid, Uh, but I was not the kid at school who could draw. I was the kid at school who was told to put those crayons away, put the writing away and use your words. And I did. So then nursing came first uh, because my mother was a nurse. Right. So I guess I don't know the answer to that question. Maybe they all came at the same time. Um, But I left the drawing behind for a long, long time and then focused on the nursing. Wow, that's uh, it's. It, I want to say that's kind of sad because I, I hate it when I hear people uh, that get discouraged from doing art in class because now there's so much research that says you know uh, if you doodle, if you draw, if you you know you're using a different part of your brain, you're retaining more. Uh, so uh, it sort of makes me sad when I hear people say they made me put like art away and do this other thing, and um, so. So, so we'll say nursing from a career perspective, I guess, came first. Uh, and how did you get started with nursing? I, you know, you mentioned your mom being a nurse. Um, uh, was, so she, was she the influence for you to go in that path or how did that, how did that begin? 
I think so. But what's funny is, of course, you know, we swear we're not going to become our mothers. And I wanted a place in the arts. I wanted a place in the humanities. Um, and I loved literature and I love studying literature. So that's when I studied my undergraduate degree, philosophy and literature. I really have always had a passion for moral philosophy, particularly and literature and how the two could uh, work together. I've always been really fascinated by that. Um, and so that's what I studied. But then and I was going to be a writer, you know, have figure out some way to have a place in the arts. Um, and so I got out in the real world. And of course, <laughs> there wasn't exactly job ads for writer. Um, and that wasn't, and I, and the truth is, I wasn't really very good at it. <laughs> and, um, and so I ended up, you know, doing sort of menial work, making copies in a corporate environment. And I just thought, I got to get out of here. And, uh, and then realized, all right, I was raised to be a nurse. My father had actually had a massive stroke when I was in high school. And so we had literally, I learned at the bedside from my mother caregiving. And I just said, all right, all right, I'll go back to school and become a nurse. And that's what I did. And there was this part of me that was like, of course, I knew I would be good at it because I knew I was, you know, I'm not a super confident person, but that was one thing I was like, I know I'm good at this. And I thought, well, that's a skill that I can use. But then there was also this part of my mind of like, well, you want to, you know, I love stories and I love stories about our bodies and how we heal and how stories help us heal. Um, and so I thought, well, you'll be around some really interesting stories. And so I thought, OK, well, this will work. So this is what I'll do. That's that's um, it's, uh, you know, it's 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 weird when I talk to to a lot of my guests, like they have this other career path. They usually tend to go down and and nursing kind of comes around and they connect the two. It's not it's not this strange world where they're completely separate, even though people start in different fields. Um, you know, they they still end up back in, and they end up in in the world of nursing. They they bring the two worlds together, and I think that makes our profession so much more rich, just because that process does occur because we're bringing this other uh, passion and knowledge into into the field of nursing as you have. Yeah. And, you know, when I speak to young people thinking about nursing, I say, um, you know, I feel like in a lot of ways, nursing is the foundation of a home. And then you build the home on it that you that you want. Right. But it's wow. this unbelievably solid foundation that will always serve you and always always care for you. Uh, that's um, I, that's sort of, that, that's very insightful, because now, now that you're saying that, I'm, I'm like thinking of the all the different components as I was growing up. And I was primarily raised by my mother, uh, immigrated to the U.S. when I was young with my mom. And she went to so so now I'm trying to think back of all the times that she influenced me into into healthcare. She's in the healthcare field also, not a nurse, but also in the healthcare field. Um, uh, so now I'm trying to uh, in the back of my head, trying to think of all the different little tidbits she's been planting in my head. Uh, from a nursing perspective uh but but yeah i guess that's very true that the yeah. is where sort of nursing starts even if you have a cold or a flu it's usually uh the family unit that's taking care of you so yeah and i have a funny story about that so like i said we had cared for my my dad at home and also you know my mother had me doing hospital corners when i as soon as i was tall enough to make a bed and when, <laughs> I, when i got to nursing school i swear this really happened it was hilarious so you know that first like week where you're doing return demonstrations and you can't you know this you can't you know you're in the clinical setting but you can't do anything you, they wouldn't let you be exposed to patients right <laughs> so they teach you the bed making right like that first clinical <laughs> and um and so we had you know she's my 
instructor had the little ducklings of nurses around her and she shows how to do the, you know, the hospital corners on the bed. And then she's like, who wants to do the return demonstration? And I was the first one. And uh, it was, it was probably Friday, probably three o'clock. It was late. And, uh, and so I did it. And then she, she just looked at me and she goes, okay, this is perfect. The next room's empty. MK, you take half the group. You have, you have them do the return demonstration <laughs> in there. I'll do them in here. We will get out of here in 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> very nice. Very nice. Uh, I was, I, I was, I was in the military for 10 years. So hospital coordinators were not an issue when I went to the nursing yeah. school after all that. So, yeah. so yeah, that's, that's great. Um, so what did you do after, after nursing school? So, uh, you went through nursing school. What was your process uh, after that? Yeah, so kind of fascinating story. So I mentioned that my father had had a stroke when I was in high school. Well, he sort of unexpected. I know it sounds strange to think someone who had had, you know, the debilitating after effects of a stroke uh, to die suddenly. It had been seven years. Um, but he sort of unexpectedly just he was in a we had kept him at home for a really long time. And then at the very end, it was just too much because I was off in school and my brother was gone he was in a care home and he just, one day they called us and said he, he died during the night. And so it was sort of a mm. surprise. And I was just about to start my clinicals. And, um, I suddenly realized like, Oh, this was a terrible idea. What was I thinking going to nursing school? I don't, this is all going to just remind me of him. And I don't want to do this. What am I doing? So I went to my instructor and, and I tell this story in my book, taking turns. And I went to my instructor and I told her like, you know, I, I have to quit. I, I, this was terribly ill planned. And she said, you know what? You just found out your father died. Just go home, you know, take today off and come back, I'm, you know, next week when we'll start clinicals again, then I'll figure something out between now and then. And this connects to what, and then changed my whole rest of my career. When I came back that next time, it had then been another week. And she said, uh, this was 1993. She said, we have an AIDS care unit on the other side of the floor from this general medical floor. And she said, you go, um, I'm going to set you, I set you up with a private clinical over there with an instructor, and you're going to learn everything you need to know from HIV AIDS uh, that you need to be a really good nurse. Um, and then some. And she, so that's what I did. And then that was it. I found my home and my calling. Um, and that's what I ended up doing for the rest of my nursing inpatient career for, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, actually, uh, I, I, you don't know this, but I, we sort of have a little bit in common when it comes to uh, this portion. Uh, so when I joined the military in, and I started in the military in 1992, um, uh, right, I, I joined because of the Gulf War, the first Gulf War, and I said, yes, I need to go in. And as soon as I stepped, my put my foot in the door, uh, it ended. Uh, so I'm like, okay. Uh, so my first duty station was actually at the Naval Medical Center San Diego, and I was on a medical surgical slash urology floor as a Navy corpsman, uh, but a good probably 80% of our patients there were HIV AIDS patients. Uh, so I spent a good, my first duty station, that's the population I worked with and, and loved the population, uh, the families, you get to know them, they're in and out. Um, so um, so yeah, it, that that was my foundation as well, and I'm grateful for it. And it's true. You really, because the, you know, the virus destroys the immune system, the opportunistic infections were so wide ranging that you did feel like you covered so many systems of the body. You know, after six years of doing that intensely, I, the only thing that I didn't feel like I was super competent at was, um, was cardiac stuff because we didn't see too much cardiac stuff, right. but yeah, I just felt like there was, you know, 
a lot that I could do. We ended up being trained in giving chemo because there were all those opportunistic cancers. I mean, I just felt like there was this wide range that, you know, fortunately then our unit was able to close. If I wanted to go into any area of care, I felt really competent. So yeah, yeah. at that time, and I'm glad that time doesn't exist anymore, but. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But um, um, yeah, grateful for my time there. Uh, it, w- it was an incredible exper- experience. And like I said, um, uh, I really what I enjoyed out of it, well, other than the experience was really I had an opportunity to really uh, like work with the family unit. Right. Um, so it wasn't just the patient. I mean, the patients were, were our patients, but actually working with the entire family. I think I, I treasure I treasure that time. And I, every time somebody says, can you give me a positive or a, or an experience you want to share? I owe it. That's my default. Those couple of years I was on that unit are my like default of um, good memories, you know, of, you know, things that happened. And, you know, anyway. I've heard that from a lot of nurses, you know, so the... Uh, the book that I did, the graphic memoir, Taking Turns, I actually ended up doing an inner, um, so I was in my master's program and I did, and we'll get to how I got there, but I did uh, a lot of interviews, about 30, almost 30 interviews with nurses. And one thing that I realized, and so this was fast forward, you know, after I did those starting in like, I don't know, 2010 or something, um, I really came to realize that not only did that, you know, HIV AIDS change healthcare so much, but it really informed a whole generation of caregivers moving forward, right? And, and right. profoundly, doctors, nurses, respiratory therapists, all it, it profoundly, uh, profoundly informed so many caregivers, like right. you're, you're testifying to. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think that we're going through sort of a phase of that right now. Um, yes. Um, yeah. So, um, so a whole new generation is going through going through that, and lots of echoes. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not at the I'm not at the bedside anymore, but I'm thankful for that experience, and I can, you know, um, I can imagine what uh, the current um, current um, uh, healthcare workers are going through uh, through this process right now. So, um, so yeah. Um, uh, so just to shift gears uh, a little, and by the way, uh, you're, uh, I, I'm definitely ordering your book uh, the, uh, on the graphic memoirs because I definitely want to read that um, <clears throat> um, or, or thumb through it. I, have, I don't know what, what kind of, it's so sort of like a comic book type of a type of a setup, right? Because have you not read a, is it, or, would this be your first graphic novel memoir? Uh, yeah, I ha- I don't. Yeah, I don't really oh. like my my girls do like a like comic books and stuff, but I haven't actually read a graphic memoirs or that kind of novel. So we have uh, a lot to talk about. All right, all right. Uh, so let's get into that because you you definitely took this art piece and you've blown it up into this incredible uh, amount of work that you you've, you've already done. Uh, how did you get involved with this process? Yeah, so there's a direct link to the last thing I was talking about. So during that time, and again, we'll get to COVID and and where this ties together, because there's a lot of echoes of that in this moment. But during that time, I was a new nurse out of school, right? So I went from doing that aged care in, in school to then being thrown to a fully functioning unit. I was completely overwhelmed. You know, you learn in nursing school all of the technical skills, but there's a lot you don't get and you start putting together and it's so overwhelming. Um, And I had that experience at the height of the AIDS crisis, height of deaths from AIDS in the area I'm in. I was in Chicago at the time is was 1995. And that's when I was just getting started in my nursing career. And so in an effort to, to cope, I started drawing and 
you know, I worked the three to 11 shift and I would come home and, you know, it was so intense. And then I'm supposed to just go home and go to bed. Like I can't sleep at the end of that. And you can't just go out drinking every night. Like that didn't seem, and I also felt this intense need to personally process these experiences rather than going out to a bar and either talking about something else or processing with a group. I felt like I needed to personally process. So I started writing and then that felt completely inadequate. I couldn't retell those stories that had just happened. That felt like too soon, too re-traumatizing in a way. Um, and so I would draw these sort of abstract shapes and, and paint them on boards. And then I felt like that wasn't telling the whole story. So then at some point, fast forward a couple of years towards the end when our unit was closing, which was a whole nother layer of grief because I had found this calling. I had found this community. And of course, I wanted the unit to not need to exist, but yet it was a huge loss. So it was a very confusing time emotionally. I literally had to go into work one day at three o'clock, but had was completely overwhelmed with grief and sadness and in a death that had happened the night before someone I'd known the whole time I'd been there. And I sat with a white piece of paper and I literally just drew this picture of myself. And then I wrote over it, I feel miserable. And then I just put a box around it. And then I remembered this cartoonist who I loved when I was in college named Linda Berry, who had, um, she had comics in the kind of independent newspapers that we still had newspapers back then um, that we would get in school. And her comics weren't funny. They were often about difficult, painful experiences. They were enjoyable, but they weren't funny. And I thought, oh, yeah. So I put another box next to that first box and I thought this looks like it's going to turn into a comic. So I'm going to just do this. And so I kept going. And much to my amazement, nine panels later, at the end of that comic, I was in a place of hope and renewed ability to focus on whatever person was in front of me who deserved my attention, as opposed to my own grief over last night or the whole unit closing. And I thought, this is miraculous. This is like this incredible tool. I had no idea. And so that's how I'm, and, and believe me, these were very rough sketches. They were silly little drawings. They were not anything I would show anyone. In fact, I've never really even shown anyone that first comic. Um, but I have been making comics and then, you know, dove into this as a tool ever since that day, that one day, because it worked, it helped. It was a way of using image and text together in sequential fashion to reflect on difficult experiences. And I had complete control over what happened on the page. And that was different than being in a difficult situation in which I had no control. I couldn't fix it. Right. Wow. Uh, um, that that's, um, that's outstanding. Um, cause I know when I, when I kind of do my little art piece, it tends to be late at night, everybody's gone to bed. It's a way for me to wind down and get, get stuff out of my head. So yeah. it's, uh, it really is uh, therapeutic. Um, uh, and, uh, and I appreciate you sharing that. Um, so maybe down the line, you can show me your first comic that you've never done. <laughs> Someday I can surface it. Um, uh, so, uh, so how did you, um, uh, how did you get involved in actually putting putting these together and said, you know what, I'm going to publish this for the everybody to see? Yeah, uh, how, so, what was that process? Yeah. So initially, um, it's a long process. I can tell you that it's a long <laughs> process, about 20 years. But um, but every little step was a step in the right direction. Um, and so when I when our unit closed. Um, because we could, because our patients were getting better and the drug combinations were working and that was great. 
um, I started looking at this comics thing. Well, I, what I did was I literally went into hospice care because that was the area I felt really a calling to. I really, um, you know, of all the things I could have chosen, I felt like hospice was a great uh, place to use those skills. And, I, and so I did continue to work clinically, but I kept making comics as a tool for reflection on my practice. And um, I really found them useful. And then I wanted to make, I knew that at some point I was going to make a comic about the unit that I worked on because it was so unique. You know, having worked on a place that did AIDS care, you know that there was just so many, there were so many elements that were just different that served the patient. And since, you know, there was no cure in those early days, the patient was an equal partner in their care. And I loved that. And we had a team environment where every voice on the team uh, had equality. So sometimes the woman who, um, a wonderful woman who cleaned the rooms was in on team meetings about patients because she actually had the better relationship with the patients and the families, right? And could speak to their needs. And I thought, oh my God, how can we export this? How can we take the lessons we learned from HIV and AIDS care and the units we created and the kinds of ways we approach this um, and, and export it? And so I thought, well, I'm doing these comics. I want to make a comic that shows what this world is like or could be like or was like. So I thought, but oh gosh, there's a lot I need to learn about story and how story works. And um, I had just started finding out about a field called narrative medicine, which is exactly that, focuses on story um, and why stories can heal and why generally also just making these comics helped me survive as a caregiver. Like, let's look at the theory. So I decided to... Um, I found this program at Northwestern in their medical school that's called Medical Humanities and Bioethics. As I mentioned, I always loved moral theory. And so a bioethics piece was perfect for me. Um, and also I wanted to think about, well, this is very important. What are my ethical obligations to patients and families about story? If these are stories I'm going to tell, how do I do that ethically, right? Because I'm bound by HIPAA. There's a lot of things I can't do or say. How do I do that the most ethical way possible? So I wanted to kind of learn all this theory. And then basically, honestly, I was using it to inform making better comics. I didn't tell them that up front. I kind of wanted to be taken seriously as a scholar. But the great thing is the people I was studying with at Northwestern, they got it even sometimes before I did. Um, and not only, you know, not only is it an amazing form of reflection, I want to say this to any students out there. Making a comic about even just a difficult subject or procedure or anything you're trying to learn is also incredibly useful because the act of drawing things is how you come to know it. And then you put, you know, that and like, I teach this to my medical students all the time, like use comics and drawing to learn your content. Right. Anyway, so I decided to study all of that stuff and why comics work. And fortunately, right around the time I was graduating, there was a doctor in Wales named Ian Williams. And he had um, been also, he was a physician who was also studying the medical humanities because he wanted to bring those things together, his artistic desires and his healthcare career. And he happened to come across a book in a bookstore uh, called Mom's Cancer. And um, I, by coincidence, also came across that same book in Chicago at the Museum of Contemporary Art Bookstore. And this book is amazing. It blew both of our minds independently across the ocean to say, wait a minute, comics can be taken seriously. Because what the uh, creator of this book does, Brian Treese, um, is he very beautifully 
shows the impact we have on patients and families, right? From his from his perspective as the son, sitting by watching chemo, watching what his mother was being told, the ways in which she was given such conflicting information, the difficult situations that the system puts patients and families into, he reflected in this amazing way in this comic. And I thought, if there's any more books out there like this, we should be reading them in our education programs. We should be thinking about them and teaching them. So what Brian Feast does in this book, Mom's Cancer, is he shows us the impact on families and patients uh, from the kind of mixed messages we give them, not knowingly, um, or the difficult kind of, you know, problems that we cause for them without knowing it. You know, we don't see it. We only see each of our own windows of care. But what he can show us is the bigger picture. And he does it in these really engaging um, visual metaphors, which is another thing comics can do. We think about our bodies and our care and metaphors. Comics can make those literal, right? And it's kind of amusing sometimes. It's kind of, you know, striking sometimes. And so um, I, I just said, are there more books out there like this? And if they are, I want to study them and I want us to think about them to having a serious role in healthcare and how we educate ourselves and how we learn. You know, my ultimate goal from the time that I was both a family member of a patient and as a patient advocate working as a nurse was the, the, the real authority in so many of these situations is the patient and their families. You know, we come in and act like, here's what you're going to do. Here's what you're going to, and, and, you know, we don't listen. And one of the things these books help us do is learn to listen, what it's like to have Parkinson's, what it's like to, uh, you know, to, to provide that care at home. What are the challenges that we don't understand? And these books show us what life at home is like, right? They're this amazing window. So it turns out there were a whole bunch of them. And my colleague Ian Williams set up a website because he actually says that he was stalling doing his own master's thesis. He set up a website that just would like organize and talk about some of these books. So he found some of the ones he could. And to be clear, what these comics are, are nonfiction accounts by people who are experiencing illness and caregiving and disability, showing us what that's like from their perspective. And, um, and so anyway, so that's how we met through this internet because I was doing some research on my own. And then he decided to have one conference in 2010, I believe. And then I hosted the second. And it turned out people all over the world, all literally all over the world, we have an international community of people who everybody, you know, either some people were already doing this work, um, but not telling anyone, you know, not making a big deal of using, well, because there's such a stigma about comics as if it's anti-intellectual, which it's not. Comics can have footnotes as well. Um, and, and it turned out, so the people who were doing it came together and said, oh my God, you know, we, we heard expressions like I found the mothership or I found my tribe, my home, you people get it. And then I think we inspired a next generation of people who said, well, maybe I could do my, my, you know, graduate work or my research work or translate it in comic form because then people will actually pick it up and engage with it. Right. Um, so it's been this amazing movement over the last 10 years. It's been my full-time work. Um, it's just been astonishing. That's amazing. Um, so, um, so I need to get get involved in this community. So that's nice. where I'm leaving. Nice. That's where I'm leaving that. So, um, uh, so how did you? Uh, so you you at some point you decide you're going to publish your work, right? Um, uh, what what was the what was the, what was the push to uh, to publish the work and say? Um, 
and, and sort of making it like um, you know it's your full time kind of thing that you do now. So how did you uh, how did you uh, make that decision, and what was the path like? Just because I know there aren't that many people that are that are doing what you're doing as far as you know. Um, really being informative and educating and um, uh, I, you know, and, and I want to definitely get into the, to, to, to the most current book that you edited um, and how did that community come together? So um, yeah, I highly recommend if you are going to uh, want to do your own book to form a international movement to and slowly along the way also be doing that work. Um, I think like a lot of, uh, artists will tell you that, you know, I don't, it's not um, super financially lucrative or rewarding to make books, right? Um, particularly not graphic comic books, because um, it's, uh, it's very labor intensive. And so it took me, you know, basically, not even counting the research, not counting the back, just from when the day I started drawing the first panel for taking turns, so the last day it was edited and the files could go off to press, that was about three years, um, which I guess isn't unusual, but I'm talking like, you know, really intense work of just drawing those pictures, you know? Um, and so it's a labor intensive work, but I, as I started to say, I think like a lot of artists and, and, you know, there's this way of kind of having one foot and what I love about my career is I have one foot on the academic side and one foot on the artistic side and, you know, the academic side and being able to give lectures and, and teach is, is financially, you know, uh, it's okay. Enumerative. <laughs> I wouldn't say lucrative. I wouldn't say necessarily. It's it pays the bills. It pays. Exactly. So that part pays. No. And, and, you know, once the, the books really start selling, sure, that could work too, but right. Anyway, uh, so, and that's an awkward thing to talk about, right? Like, it's awkward to talk about money, but of course you do have to try to at least support your own your own work. So, um, yeah, so that was um, a process that took a long time. And I think as far as, you know, your question I'm reflecting was, like, how did you decide to do that? So the first book, The Graphic Medicine Manifesto, was really like, we want to um, put down a theoretical basis for why we really believe comics need to be taken seriously within health education and within healthcare and for patients and for families. Like, you know, comics are not superheroes and they are, but they don't need to be. Um, there's this whole world of graphic memoirs uh, for adults by adults, nonfiction, um, as I said earlier. So, you know, we just kind of want people to know this world exists and that, you know, these can be integrated into our nursing curriculums. You know, you are teaching about how to take care with someone with Parkinson's. Well, I have an amazing graphic memoir called My Degeneration that your students should read because then they learn from the patient what it's like to have, you know, these kinds of issues with their, um, their walking or whatever. And how, you know, uh, Peter Dunlop Scholl, who created this book, shows us like, Here's his little tips and tricks for how he gets around it, right? Like, there's so much to be learned in all of these books, or even mental health issues, cancer, all that stuff. All these topics have amazing graphic memoirs. So, um, so that was the first thing was we felt like we need to put a stake in the ground. Like, this is a thing, and it should be taken seriously. And that was incredibly well received. The second book, my own work, as I said, I kind of always wanted to. Um, uh, I always wanted to make comics about this place. I, I used all that information about the field of the health humanities and narrative medicine and all the wonderful areas there to inform this book. And so that was always kind of brewing. And I finally did get that done. Um, and then my third 
cookbook, this one that we're just releasing uh, now, this collection um, was just is so close to my heart because along this whole route, I have met amazing cartoonists. And I knew that a lot of these people were dealing with predominantly women, although there is one trans man in our book, um, issues around menopause. And I felt like it was a hole in my own education. You know, I started experiencing hot flashes and weight gain and bloat. And I was just like, what is happening? What is, you know, joint pain, all this stuff of like, wait, I don't remember from school anything about this. And I don't know what's, you know, so I turned to my favorite medium for education, which is comics. And I thought, are there comics out there? And it turned out the ones that were out there were just really inadequate or even sometimes insulting um, as if women are a huge burden to everyone around them. And, you know, you should just do this. You should just do that. Fix your problem. Make it go away. Stop bothering me. <laughs> um, and I just thought that's not helping any of us. And so I decided to, uh, with all the cartoonists I had met along the way, edit this anthology. And uh, it's just an anthology of comics about, um, you know, intending to break the stigma of not talking about this, but also to show the wide variety of stories. Um, It's not just hot flashes and, you know, whatever things that we think of in our imagination about menopause that there are fascinating wide-ranging stories, you know, surgical menopause, as I mentioned, um, menopause because of gender transition, um, you know, uh, just different ways that, that humans navigate this, this time of life. And so I wanted to, uh, and, and I'm so fortunate that these amazing cartoonists were like, yeah, let's do it. And they made almost everything in here was made for this book. That's great. Uh, and thank you for the, for, for the early copy. I was, uh, if you had asked me, I was going to be talking about menopause at one of my shows. I'd be like, probably not. Uh, but, but uh, it's, you know, I, I, uh, like I mentioned, I was primarily raised with, by my mom, uh, my wife, I think, uh, and I asked her permission before I shared this. Uh, I think she's, she's going through, she's pre-menopausal now. She's going through the hot flashes and inconsistencies with, uh, with, uh, with, uh, uh, with, uh, her mentees. And, uh, those are the things like, you know, we don't talk about. She was actually, uh, sharing with me, like when she actually got her period, uh, when uh, in her early teens and she didn't say anything till a couple of days after. And when she told her mom, uh, like her, her mom, like, it, I guess it's something traditional that I've never heard, like slapped her in the face and says, I hope your cheeks are always red for the rest of your life or something like that. that I've know. heard that story. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I love that yeah, I was like, what? So she's like, she's a little bit traumatized over that. And then like, and then her mom said, don't tell your dad anything. And, you know, like all this stuff that, and I never thought about how much, and I and I started to think, you know, like with my military experience of having women and, you know, uh, them, you know, uh, having like their periods became, was sometimes an issue. Like, like, how are they going to change paths if they're in the middle of the war? Like, like stuff like that, that I'm like, I'm like same way anything else is done. They just do it. You know, it's not this, uh, this weird thing that happens to women or, you know, uh, so, you know, it really got me thinking and uh, about all the different uh, like mental maps that we have with women going through this very normal, it's happened forever, uh, kind of a uh, kind of a event that just it happens. 
Yeah. Um, so uh, it, it was, it's, so it really got me thinking about, and the comics are excellent in the book. And um, I, I, I love that. Um, I love that because of this, then you talk to your wife, like that is one of the big goals. Is like, <laughs> you know, like just to get people, like I was at, you know, because the book's coming out, I was at a dinner party and like all of a sudden the whole dinner party is talking about menopause. And I think it's great. <laughs> and the thing is, you know, people are like, yeah, you know, my mother, I remember this time, like people have stories and it's these stories that we sort of don't realize are there. And so it's wonderful to hear that it sort of surfaced a story like that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's just, it's just, it's been a, it's been a, it's been very interesting. I mean, it's been educational for me anyway. Uh, and it's, and, and it's just normalizing, right? Normalizing the conversation, uh, just like anything else, you know, uh, you go through changes in life and just like, it's not this abnormal, weird thing that, you know, it's stigmatized or, oh my God, did you know so-and-so is going through menopause? I'm like, it's not, it's a life transition. So, uh, let's talk about, uh, the uh, the actual book uh menopause um so uh who are the artists how did you get involved with the editing process of this book and bringing this uh body of work together because like i mentioned before for me it's been uh educational uh and it's definitely got a conversation going in my house uh but how did how did this process uh, how did the topic come up how did the process of getting these artists and they're incredible artists by the way um, uh, how did this, uh, come about? Um, mostly they were, um, artists that I knew through the graphic medicine community. Um, but I also had started going to this great conference, uh, this biannual conference called Queers and Comics. Um, and so I knew a couple of the people through that community as well. So between these two communities, I knew all these cartoonists who would make, um, really, uh, unique stories. And also, uh, I shouldn't just say cartoonist because some of them are partnerships between a cartoonist and someone who had a great story to tell. So authors and, and writers and speakers. And so there were a few uh, of those combinations. And um, I just wanted stories that, as I mentioned, kind of get conversation started uh, explore the margins and help people realize that it, there's not a single story around menopause, that there's a lot of different perspectives, whether it's surgical or, you know, like I said, gender transition or whatever it is that, um, that cause people a cancer diagnosis that cause people to go through this. Um, and, uh, once I just, I, I kind of put out a targeted call to the people that I, that I really kind of wanted to hear from, um, and really kind of tried to find the widest range and be as inclusive as possible in the stories. And so then of course, then, you know, how it is with research, right? Like they say, there's that like key informant, someone will tell you who the key informant is. So then of course, someone's like, well, you got to get so-and-so I'll introduce you, you know? So that was neat. Um, and then people just started sending the work and I was just blown away. I mean, I, I'm so blown away by the range of, of work in here. And, um, you know, for, for one person in there, this is the first comic they've ever made. Uh, she's a disability scholar who I just thought had a tremendous story. And she had become part of the graphic medicine community and was having her students make comics. And I was like, well, wow. why don't you tell that story in a comic? You tell your students to do it do it. And I just love that she took up that challenge and did a fantastic comic to, to people. You know, there's another cartoonist in here who's been, who's had, and several of them who've had long careers, 
um, and uh, are not really as well known as I want them to be in even in comics, but definitely outside of the comics world. And so um, some of those people are here as well. So it's it's really exciting. That's that's incredible. Um, so how long how long did you like how long did this take to put together? Just looks the coordination. I mean, I can I can see the artists doing their own work and then submitting it to the, to you, but uh, putting them together and you really you know push, putting out something. Uh, that's really quality work. Uh, um, how did that How did that process happen for you? Again, I can't recommend founding a worldwide international movement enough because <laughs> um, as a basis for everything you want to do moving forward, uh, because of graphic medicine, I knew the uh, editor-in-chief at Penn State Press, Kendra Boalo, and she believed in this project from just the idea stage. And she knew that, I mean, because she comes to our graphic medicine conferences, she started the graphic medicine series at Penn State University Press, who published this book. Um, she knew the talent that was in the room and, you know, at the service of this topic, which she believed in a thousand percent. And so, you know, having had Kendra's support and faith and encouragement and editing um, suggestions about what order to put them in and, and all that great stuff. You know, so I just felt like I had a partner from the beginning. I was not in this alone, you know, not just the cartoonists and the writers and the authors, but we had this partner who then took it and created the beautiful thing that you can hold in your hand. I don't know if you've seen a hardcover copy yet, but it is, it's hardcover color is beautiful. The, the visual sensibility of the cover is so strong. And, um, and yet, you know, one of the reasons I love Penn State University Press is that, yeah, it's an academic press, but they have believed in graphic medicine and the power of comics and healthcare for so long through, from the beginning of this movement. And they make beautiful books. You know, they care about what the book looks like. And that to me is like really, really important when you're talking about a visual medium. And so um, both my book, Taking Turns and Menopause, and every book they do is just beautiful. And it's unique to that book, unique to, you know, there's no sort of boilerplate way that these books look. They create books that are custom to the content, which is just beautiful. Oh, that's that's incredible. Um, now, I'm definitely, uh, I'm definitely getting, getting the book. Uh, um, when is, uh, when is it actually, I know there's a launch, I saw it on your website, but I want you to share, um, uh, launch date, how do people order it? Uh, how does that? Yeah. So there is a, um, launch date of August 17th. Um, that's the actual day the book will release. Uh, if you go to my website, comicnurse.com, and the first thing you'll see is the cover of the book. It's uh, There's a book section, and it's the first book. You don't just say menopause. You click on that. There's a link to where to buy the book from Penn State Press, and also uh, a link to if if this is if this comes out before then, August 20th, we are doing a launch event live on uh, Crowdcast through Women and Children book, First Books in Chicago. And um, they've been, uh, you know, one of the really crummy things about, well, one of the many crummy things about this time is that we can't gather. But one of the kind of silver linings is that we are able to have an international community at the event, right? So we have 20 some authors in this book that could have never been in the same room. And this way, in a way we can. And what I've done to make this more fun is that I asked as many of the contributors to the collection as possible to send in a one minute video about their comic. And so I've then edited those into a little film that we're going to watch. It's about 20 minutes and that'll be fun. We'll do that. That's going to premiere at the launch event okay, that there's perfect. a link to on my website. And uh, yeah. And then we'll have a conversation with a couple of the contributors. 
That's excellent. Um, so thank you so much. This has been fantastic. Uh, I definitely want to stay in touch with you because uh, you are definitely in an area where I've 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 dabbled in, but uh, didn't necessarily know it existed in in medicine or in nursing. Um, so thank you for uh, for for myself anyway. Thank you for introducing me to this to this uh, part of the. Uh, profession. Um, I do have a question as, as you were talking um, for having been on the academic, being on the academic side um, and from, from a um, scholar perspective, um, I don't really see these in like publications or journals and things like that. What are your thoughts on that? Because I really, uh, from somebody who's who you know from i work in the academic setting who gets pushed to publish 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 i know there's other academics out there that are under the same thing um what do you think about this from a this being counted as a publication or being taken as seriously as a, a journal publication because i think it is it is a different way of educating of of uh, disseminating in, uh, information about content right um, right. Absolutely. Yeah. So we've had great success. We graphic medicine as a movement has actually had great success within the medical establishment so that there are a number of graphic medicine courses being taught in medical school, both as um, to get the students to read the books, as I mentioned, by people with the things they're studying, but also then to learn to use the tools to reflect on their practice as sort of like reflective uh, learning. Um and identity formation as, you know, becoming a physician, whatever. Um, and, uh, and, and then in the journals, so the Annals of Internal Medicine now has a whole graphic medicine section on their website. Um, the Journal of the American Medical Association runs graphic medicine research about using comics as an intervention. Um, and, uh, you know, so like we've had the success on the medical side, but it's been a little bit slower on the nursing side. And um, I did a post for uh, when I was a fellow of the George Washington uh, Center that you mentioned earlier, I did a post about research in comics. And I can send you that link if you want to put it into the show notes um, yeah, about the ways in which, yeah, comics can be incredibly valuable as research tools. Um, and in, in a couple of ways, one is um, as the intervention itself, right? You've got to teach your patients something comics are a highly effective educational medium and, and they have a long history in public health for that reason, right? Um, there, it's this visual way to engage. It can overcome the anxiety and the stress that the learner is experiencing. And it can also make it visually appealing and pleasant to read, right? It can also potentially transcend language barriers. It can transcend literacy challenges. So comics are tremendous for teaching. And so if your research is, are your, you know, how to best educate a population, a comic intervention, and then researching the outcomes, great thing to do, right? So as the intervention. Second is as translation of your research, right? You do this important research. You want people to learn that what your study shows is that maybe we don't need to change the IV site every three days in the hospital, right? Like, how do you translate that so that as a CNE, you nurses are actually reading this, right? Or engaging with it. Well, you could make a poster in a comic form that is going to be put all over the unit and people are going to engage with it quickly. And, and they're going to want to, right? It's not right. just a block of text, right? So as the educational, as the translation, um, but then also as, again, a reflective reflection tool as the researcher. And we've got some great comics out there that um, a colleague of mine in, in Brighton, England has done about actually 
as the researcher, how does making a comic about my data help me actually come to understand my data better? Again, engaging those visual metaphors, engaging the image text, you know, combination to just make different parts of your brain work, all of that. So it's really a rich thing to think about is using these tools at the service of our research and our publication. I think more and more journals are starting to be open to um, uh, these kinds of things, um, particularly online, because it's a great way, you know, you start like annals, I think one of the reasons that it's been a huge success, but they're like, you know, this is a visual, the internet's a visual medium. We need visuals and not just stock photos, right? So to engage like original visuals for online presence, Comics are perfect. And as I mentioned, you know, comics can have footnotes. Like I, you know, I always get so excited when I see citations at the end of a comic, they can be data driven. And I can share you some terrific examples in that article of data driven comics. Um, And so, yeah, it's, you know, it's really just, again, getting over that initial stigma of like, it's comics, it's for children. It makes us look stupid. It doesn't. Right. Right. Uh, Yeah. So thank you for your perspective on that. Cause I, 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 I do agree. I do find, uh, you know, I look some. I look at some of these journals, and it's just pages and pages and pages of pages of writing. And you know, it, it's not engaging me. It doesn't make me want to sit down and and look at all of it. Or you know, so I think something like a uh, like a cartoon or a graphic or something like that. I mean, I, I learn better that way anyway. Uh, mm-hmm. So somebody for somebody like me, uh, I find it much more engaging when I can look at something there's an entertainment factor to it, right? There's a, there's a piece of that that's engaging for me. And uh, I think I learn better from things like this. Uh, and your students would feel the same, right? Yeah, so it's yeah, a great absolutely. also for us to pick this stuff up as a teaching methodology. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I actually, it, it reminded me of a, of one time I had a, I had a student and um, she would draw little things on her like nursing notes. She had like a paper that she carried with, she made notes, but she drew on it at the same time, some of the things that she was learning or some of the things that she wanted to remember, she would actually, and I, and I, and I said, that's, that's a fantastic way. And she was actually eventually like uh, sharing some of that stuff with one of her, with her peers. And um, I found it and like, yeah, this is fantastic. It's a great way to learn, but we don't see enough of it, unfortunately. Yeah. And I just want to throw one more thing in, cause I know that a listener might be out there thinking that's all fine and good if you can draw, but I can't draw. Don't get me started on this. <laughs> so I start every class with, you know, medical students, nursing students, whoever, who have never picked up a pen since they were in grade school. I give everyone a box of crayons and we start in crayon and we draw a self-portrait and then we hold them up and you look around the room and you realize every single person already has a visual style of their own. They may have left it back in fifth grade, right. but they still have it. And using a crayon brings it back. We, the most basic visual language can get all of that work I was talking about. It can get all that work done, particularly the self-reflective stuff. You know, you don't necessarily need to put yourself under the pressure of saying like, oh, this has to be published in the, the American Nursing Association Journal, right? No, 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 no. This is a process that's going to help you understand something better. You can do that with stick figures. Right. There's more interesting ways, but if that's what you feel you're capable of, you can still do all of this work in very basic visual language. And you do have a visual language. You just left it somewhere right it's just a matter of getting 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 over the fact that you're uncomfortable with the process uh, right. once once you're into it every, everybody can do it you're not trying to uh you know uh, 
put your work at a museum somewhere or <laughs> for everybody else, who knows, it might end up in a museum somewhere. Right, but, and, yeah, exactly. The, so, the more you do it, the more you do it, the more you're going to want to do it. And then the other yeah. thing I find fascinating is my favorite drawings in the world are by the students who haven't drawn since fifth grade because there's this purity to them. And, right. and it, they're just so amazing when you look at them and you're like, that's amazing. Right, right. I completely agree. Uh, so thank you so much for being here with us today. Anything else you want to share uh, with yeah, the audience? I wanted, yeah, I wanted to throw out one more thing that, that I'd hoped would come up. And it's that, um, so 10 years into the graphic medicine movement, COVID happened. Oh, yeah. And we already had, as I mentioned, this worldwide movement of people doing this and who believed in it. So what happened very quickly is that comics started emerging about what was happening in the hospitals by doctors and nurses who were there. Um, comics started emerging to teach people what they needed to learn about wearing a mask and social distancing. And um, so there's a lot of comics right around COVID. And um, if anyone's interested in seeing those, if you go to graphicmedicine.org, um, it's pinned to our homepage. I think it's like backslash COVID comics, but if you just go to graphicmedicine.org, you can see a number of the comics that are um, bearing witness to so many aspects of the COVID experience, whether it's, again, that educational content or what's happening, kind of the news from the front lines in the hospitals or kind of um, just what it was like to be in lockdown in different places in the world, the kind of um, racism that emerged during the time, um, just all kinds of different aspects of those experiences has been uh, witnessed in comic form. And so I encourage people not only for their own use, but um, these are going to make great teaching tools. We're all going to be teaching online. And I want to just throw that out also as a resource for um, integrating the content of the moment into our teaching. Um, you might find something there that you'll find very useful. Uh, that's fantastic. Thank you for bringing that up. Uh, I know I did a couple of doodles with uh, with uh, COVID uh, in, on my on my uh, Instagram site. So uh, so thank you for sharing that. I think it's a good way, like I said, for people to not only express uh, but self therapy. Great way for self therapy, uh, and also to educate and teach others. So uh, it's I think it's a great medium for people to be uh, just uh, just in. Period. Right. Thank you. I appreciate your enthusiasm. Uh, so thank you again. Uh, we have been uh, joined uh, by the, I will say, the infamous comic nurse. Uh, MK, thank you again for being here. Uh, uh, we will have uh, uh, the resources you mentioned on the website uh, and um, it will direct it. So uh, if you're looking to get more information on this, uh, please uh, go to my website or just go to www.comicnurse.com uh, and uh, we will have, uh, you will be, you will have access to additional resources. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. And this has been another episode of the RN Mentor Podcast. Thank you and have a great rest of your week. You've been listening to the RN Mentor with your host, Ali Taya. Please don't forget to visit www.aliartayeb.com. That's www.aliartayeb.com for podcast notes and resources. And don't forget to subscribe. Until next time, I wish you fair winds and following seas.